Welcome to In Your Own Words Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Thickpen, recording in Byron, Mississippi, bringing you firsthand success stories from the past to the present. My goal is to interview as many head football coaches, assistant coaches, teachers, administrators, current students, and others who impact high school sports in Mississippi. Grab a drink, sit back, listen, and enjoy the show. Welcome to In Your Own Words podcast. I'm your host, Chris Thickpen, recording in Byron, Mississippi, bringing you firsthand success stories from the past and the present. My goal is to interview as many head football coaches, assistant coaches, teachers, current students, administrators, and others who impact high school sports in Mississippi. Grab a drink, listen, and enjoy the show. Today, my special guest is none other than my older brother, Dr. Corey Thickpen. Dr. Thickpen, welcome, and thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Coach Thickpen. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I know it, it may be late. Um, uh, how are you and the family, uh, for those who don't know, how are you guys holding up during the quarantine? Well, me and my family are holding up uh, pretty good, you know, as with anything. Uh, we've become, I guess you could say, uh, ready to get out of the house. We've been doing certain things as far as going out, getting on the trampoline. And our most exciting thing that we do now is uh, going to the store. Uh, I've had to go to the school a couple of times where I work at Taylorsville Attendance Center. For the most part, we've put on some masks if we go outside, but just paying attention to the to the news and knowing that it's more to come, making sure that we take things uh, slow because we know this process is not over. And with the rest of the school year uh, being pretty much counseled by our governor, uh, we're just trying to take, take things slow. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Dr. Thickpin, you being an administrator, um, what are some of the concerns um, – school officials like yourself um, have for the students who are going to be out maybe for an extended period of time and possibly maybe miss out on some critical uh, instruction? Well, Coach, as you know, in rural areas, we struggle with distance learning. And in schools today, distance learning is very important. As a matter of fact, once a student graduates out of high school, they're going to be going to college where probably half of their classes are going to be through distance learning. But in Mississippi and in a lot of our rural schools, we don't have a sufficient technology. And technology affords us a lot, allows us to do a lot of stuff. And so what we're doing at TAC is for those students who do not have technology, who do not have a computer or some kind of handheld technology, we are... Um, getting our teachers to develop packets and we take those packets and stack them up at a designated place throughout the school. And those parents get to come uh, to that place, which is outside in the open air, not inside of the school. They get those packets, work on them for two or three weeks. And then we set a date that they can bring those packets back for those students who have access to Google classroom, who have access to the different types of software, they are able to return um, their work to their teacher 
uh, as soon as possible. Okay, so you and uh, I guess it's safe to say other administrators are being flexible with families and students um, trying to meet their needs. As you said, some have electronic devices where they can turn it in online while others don't. So um, I, I guess, would you say most schools are trying to be flexible with uh, students turning in work? Most definitely. Our governor, Tate Reeves, said that he realizes that a, a great majority of our students don't have distance learning, especially in the small school uh, in the rural area. And so teachers have become very flexible because, as he mentioned yesterday, he does not want um, parents to become teachers. It's impossible. A lot of them have to work. A lot of them don't understand the students' work. And so pretty much what you have is work for students to make sure that they maintain whatever it is that they had when we left school. There's really not a way to introduce any more new material. They just can work on the material uh, as far as they got, I think, in the third nine weeks. And uh, then they can go from there. Okay. Dr. Thickpin, uh, one last question about that, uh, because you brought up a very good point. How can school districts, administrators, and teachers quantify um, grade averages once all this is over? Or in other words, um, do, do you simply maybe give a completion grade? Do you try to, what, what is the rigor like when assessing these packets and online uh, work that is submitted? When you access rigor on online packets and different work that is being given, it's going to be very hard to grade that work as you would regular school work. So you have to really give them a participation grade. And then as they get ready to go into the next grade next year, you're going to be looking at pretty much what they did before they got out of school if they did any of the work that you gave to them to help out with that grade. And it's probably going to be within a seven, five to seven, seven to 10 point range, you know, to see if they um, are going to be able to go on to the next grade. But, but now let me preface by saying, you know, we don't have end of the year exams. We don't have state testing. All of that stuff has been canceled um, by our state board of education in Mississippi and federally as well. And so we have to be very careful about holding students back because the thing is going to be, hey, we were not in school. They were not given time to even pull that grade up. So that's something that we have to be careful with. Absolutely. So would you, uh, you know, I know you're not an attorney, but you're a very well-educated man. So would you say it's safe to say that school districts may get in trouble if they try to hold a student back, uh, given, you know, that they're distant learning and, uh, they don't have access to all the tools that you would regularly have access to in uh, education. I think it would be good for all stakeholders involved to seriously look at if um, before sometimes next year, before school start, if students for some reason are not um, promoted to the next grade, we need to seriously look at why they retained, why they were retained. And then also you're probably going to have some, um, some uh i guess you can say some discombobulation within the community as and those things that we just spoke about will probably come up so we have to be careful about it um, all stakeholders involved uh, specifically at district office have to make absolutely sure uh that this is something that they want to do absolutely and and uh dr thickpin let's just say <clears throat> i know you're you're at a smaller school but you've also been at larger schools and suburban areas and we'll, we'll get into that uh in a few minutes but 
what can an administrator do or teacher do to try to reach a student or family who uh, may not have up-to-date information in your online system uh, that that tracks each individual student? What we've told our teachers to do is to make sure that they stay in constant contact with them. That's through uh, giving them a call, giving them a phone call, calling the parent per se. We told those students um, to make sure that their parents are looking for calls from the teacher. You can contact them through school status, of course. Um, you can contact them through telephone. You know, you can email them uh, just different ways. And sometimes even if you need to mail them a packet, you may have to mail them a packet. We have the necessary, um, I guess you could say, stamps and necessary measures to make sure that we even mail packets to them. At some particular point, most students, I will say even though rural, have some type of technology, but it may not be adequate which means they may not be able to do it on their cell phone. They may not be able to do it on the computer because they may not have sufficient internet or it may not be strong. They may not have sufficient Wi-Fi. And so we just take those measures to make sure that we stay in contact with them first through telephone, secondly, through email and, and other ways as well. Okay. Uh, Dr. Thickpen, um, what is the district doing or the school you work at doing to uh, maybe help out families uh, when it comes to feeding, you know, the kids in your community? Originally, when we got out of school during spring break, and then we found out that our spring break would be extended to April the 17th, students could come to the school starting, I guess, the Monday uh, that we found out that we were not going to be in school from Monday through Thursday. They could come from 10 to 12 and uh, pick up a free lunch. However, we've had to kind of taper that just a little bit still because, you know, with uh, COVID-19 rules, 10 or more people cannot gather and then they're real fishy about, you got to make sure you have gloves on. You got to make sure that even though you're sending food out, that uh, those bags that they're sending them out in, you got to make, because you know that stuff can get on surfaces, it can get on anything. So you have to be real careful about that. And so as of right now, I'm not sure if we're still doing those free lunches, but at first, first two or three weeks, we, we did that. And so we would just make sure that we helped them out as far as meals, as far as getting packaged to them, et cetera. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, you, you, you grew up in the community, you know, the community. Well, um, you and I both went to school there from K through 12th grade. Um, how do you think uh, the stimulus uh, uh, checks that were, being sent out uh, this week and maybe in the coming weeks, how, how do you think that's going to help families uh, in your area where you grew up and, you know, across the nation? In a rural area specifically and then across the nation, I think it's going to give those parents, those families a boost, at least initially. It will allow them if they need to, to catch up on some expenses, some things that may have not been paid, to go to the grocery store, to put gas in their car, so that they can get to where they may need to, even though most of uh, employees and families, the adults in the families are laid off to some point, but it will give them a boost. It'll help them bill wise. It will help them food wise. And then if they need to do any traveling, they'll be able to get gas and, and handle other things that they need to handle. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, let's segue to, uh, uh, you know, maybe more about you to let the listeners know a little bit, uh, about you, uh, you know, you have a Ph.D. degree, um, obviously. Um, uh, can you kind of talk to 
your journey, you know, to to reach that uh, status. That's that's a great accomplishment. Um, the first in our family. Uh, so uh, t- talk about what motivated you to uh, to get there and, and, and maybe how it's uh, helping you in your uh, current position. Well, you know, growing up in Summerlin, Mississippi, and then going to our local school, Taylorsville, we always were pushed by our mom and by our different relatives in our family to always strive for more. And then particularly my uncle Thomas Gray worked at Vicksburg Warren in the Vicksburg Warren School District. And he said, you know, that he was a teacher. And so then my football coach at Jones Junior College, Coach Parker Dykes, said that before he was a coach, he was a teacher. And so I've always wanted to give back and to try to help people excel. And so I went and played football at Jones Junior College uh, and then went to Jacksonville State for for a um, brief moment before getting injured and then coming back to USM and getting my BS in human performance and recreation. And then I got some degrees, some uh, graduate degrees at William Carey University, my um, master's specialist, and then my doctorate, of course. And this just been a journey because, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And then over the last three or four years, I got into administration. And with this year, being a new principal at Taylorsville Attendance Center, I thought that I could make a big difference in students' lives, but it starts in small steps. The most important thing at a school is a school's climate. How do the students generally feel about coming to school? Is it a safe environment? How does the campus look? How does the hall look? When they go to the school, is it a, we can't see in here? Is the, are the stakeholders or the staff arguing? Do they get along? Are we, we really promoting education? And so those are just some factors that got me into it, coming from a, a, a small rural family, playing football, and seeing how much um, I could impact education, how I have a knack for uh, students, particularly 7 through 12, how I know how those students think. Oh, man, we got to go to school, and this is something else. So just from different experiences, I wanted to make sure that I could have an impact on education, specifically affecting the school climate. Okay. Um, and... <clears throat> You know, you, you said it coming from a small school, you got to see um, uh, how the stakeholders in the community, uh, how they kind of gravitated towards the school. It helped that, you know, being in Taylorsville in the 1990s, they had a great football team. And so people who weren't just so uh, following the school academically, they always followed the kids and the communities because most of them either played football on Friday nights, um, they were in the band, they were cheerleaders, or they were just fans that came and supported the team. Um, as an administrator, can you talk about how important it is maybe to have a great balance between academics and athletics in the high school level? It's very important. Athletics, particularly extracurricular activities, are a lot of the reasons that students come to school because in small areas, just as you said yourself, we don't have a a lot of technology. There is not a lot uh, that we see. And so through being able to be a part of those uh, extracurricular activities, such as athletics, maybe even the band or some of your other extracurriculars you have, you have the opportunity to perform and to excel. But to perform and to excel, you also have to be 
um, where you need to be as far as academics. You have to excel in those as well. You have to have a specific average that you have to make sure that you keep. And so because of sports, a lot of our rural students who think about dropping out, who think about going and making a quick dollar or getting their GED or just going to work because of sports, they still come to school. And it is the job of the educator for every single individual that is there to make sure that they achieve. So extracurriculars do a lot for those students in small areas. Absolutely. Um, I can remember, and I, and I know you probably have your own stories. I can remember, and I tell this story all the time, being in kindergarten and going to uh, pet rallies at, at Taylorsville High School and seeing the football team and thinking those guys were as big as the NFL players as far as in my mind. Um, and then also having uh, a school staff that supported not just the smart kids or the athletes, but they supported all the kids. So that was that was very important. Um, you mentioned that you were a coach. Can you kind of talk about your transition from teaching, uh, coaching, and uh, now as an administrator? When I first started out at Prentice Junior Senior High, I taught learning strategies before transferring to the Law School District uh, where I did some football there. I actually did junior high football with a old guy named Coach Milton Grubbs down in Laurel, Mississippi, before transferring to Northeast Jones High School and doing some football there, high school football. So I started out at, at Stuart Jones Middle School in Laurel with Coach Milton Grubbs, did junior high there, went to Northeast Jones High School and coached with a great guy, Coach Bubba Hathorne, who is now the supervising principal at Wayne County High School. And then from there, uh, leaving there, I ended up going to Bay Springs High School. And at Bay Springs High School, got in, in touch with another good coach, or Coach Gerd Warren, who coaches at Simpson Academy, if I'm not mistaken. And I stayed there from 2008 to 2011 as their offensive line coach, just as I was at, at Northeast Jones. And we had some good years, learned a lot, had a lot of good experiences. In 2011, from 2011 till about 2016, I was uh, coach there at Oak Grove High School, um, offensive line coached. We won a, a state championship. Uh, the last time that the state championship was held in Jackson at the Coliseum, that was 2013. We won that year. And then I transferred to the middle school, Oak Grove Middle School. I got out of coaching to pursue my doctorate degree so that I could get into administration because I thought that I could help students more, not just coaching, but by going into the administration, seeing what goes on in administration and, and having more of an impact by being an administrator. So, um, Dr. Thickpen, would you say that by you going from a teacher to a coach uh, back to teaching at the middle school uh, to now being an administrator, um, how, how did all of those roles help you in the role that you have uh, currently? Well, being in some of the areas that I mentioned earlier, those were inner city schools where a lot of the individuals there were less were less fortunate. We received a lot of federal monies and we did a lot, got a lot of books and a lot of materials to help those individuals out. Coming to the Lamar County School District, I saw a different side of everything. They pretty much have everything in place. They pretty much have procedures and curriculum and all of that stuff in place. And I think so all of my experiences, coaching, which gives you 
uh, determination, which which helps you manage a whole bunch of things, students and time and being where you need to be and working hard. And sometimes you have to do stuff off the cusp. Sometimes you have to adjust to different things. I think all of those experiences helped me um, transition into an administrator. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I, I feel sometimes that, you know, um, doing all the things that come with coaching, like you said, um, the, the long nights, the early mornings, and then going in the classroom, teaching, uh, the grading, the discipline, players and students, um, all of that has to be a bonus when helping an, an inspiring administrator. Um, could you maybe uh, talk about what you think is going to happen in August or whenever we're able to return to some type of normalcy as far as in having a regular school year? This summer, even right now, the districts have have to be putting a plan together amongst themselves to see how we're going to start the school year out. We don't know definitely if we're going to start in August like we normally do. We may have to start after September, the school year. The start time may be pushed back past the fall because if we're looking at reports to where this uh, COVID-19 may not be over. And so if that's the case, then how are students going to gather more than 10? Are they going to have to wear a face mask? And so it's a lot of different things that go on or that will go on that will need to take place between now and when school starts that's going to concern safety of everybody involved. So in other words, uh, people like yourself got some tough decisions to make about the upcoming future once the president and the governor allows us to uh, start back planning. Most definitely. Okay. Now, this is a, a, a podcast that I, I would like to talk about sports on. So let's segue into uh, sports. Now, you played football at Taylorsville High School. And if you know anything about Taylorsville High School um, and, and you're in Mississippi in the Pine Belt area, um, I'm, I'm sure – a lot of football fans, coaches uh, alike have heard of Taylorsville High School. So uh, maybe talk about who are some of the players you played with in high school and in your high school football playing experience. Well, playing football at Taylorsville High School was an honor and a pleasure because we had a great tradition. My cousin, Marcus Keyes, went on to play at Jones Junior College. And then later on, he went to the University of North Alabama, where from there he got um, drafted by the Chicago Bears and had a career in the NFL. When I move on to my experience at Taylorsville uh, High School, I played with Jason Campbell and a host of other um, individuals, just to say the least. But his brother, Larry Campbell Jr., uh, a guy by the name of John Jennings, Jason Campbell, um, Brian Bester, Patrick Boo, just a whole bunch of guys. And if and if you know Taylorsville football, there's a lot of names that you can call from Ben Crosby to Gary McGill. We can go on even to yourself. And so just playing football, athletics in general, specifically football and baseball at Taylorsville was something that every Every boy, every single person, um, every athlete, it was something that they always wanted to do. Absolutely. Now, I can remember a time. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but you, Jason, and a guy at the 
other Smith County school, Mize Attendance Center, Eric Horn, y'all were like chosen all American or, or, or you got some type of an award like that. And um, one of the national recruiters came down. To, if you remember that, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was a guy. He came down. I can't remember specifically the publication, but he came down and said, hey, you know, you guys have been selected as all Americans at your position, which means uh, I was a tight end. He was a quarterback. I think Eric was a receiver DB. And you've been selected as one of the few all Americans throughout the U.S. Uh, at your position. It was a great honor. He came down and talked and gave us a magazine. We took pictures. And so it was just one of the, the many perks. One of the things that I enjoy being a high school football player at Taylorsville High School. And and to let the listeners know, that was probably ninety eight, ninety nine, or or ninety nine, two thousand around the time where the internet hadn't fully taken off yet. Uh, there was no YouTube, there were no social social media platforms. So, like you said, most of this information got out through word of mouth uh, or magazines, as far as the media. And so, <clears throat> I mean, that was a that was a huge deal. Um, could you remember maybe playing any memorable games in high school or who do you think maybe the best player you ever played against? Played against a lot of good players in high school from um, Timmy Blackwell at Mize, Derek Duxworth that played at uh, Mize. Uh, we had a guy by the name of Rick McDonald. Cedric McDonald played at, at West Jones. Um, Jerome Crosby was a big running back. We always had great battles with West Jones. We had uh, – some some battles with a guy named uh, Leon. Uh, I think his his last name, Leon. I can't think of his last name, but he played at uh, Northeast Jones. Man, those guys were great. I think Leon Gavin. And then yep, yep. Yeah, yep. those two those two guys were good. And so we had some memorable battles. The battles we usually had that were memorable were those within our county, specifically with mine. And then Raleigh, my senior year. And then with some of the Jones County schools, specifically West Jones, I can remember uh, Northeast Jones, I think Newton, when, when they had Alan Tillman, who went on to play at Auburn. We had some battles with them, had mm -hmm. some come from behind victories. And so uh, pretty much just those larger schools, some of the schools within our district, but particularly the larger schools that we play. Okay, now you mentioned playing against Northeast Jones and West Jones, and I, I can remember going to those games because uh, – we we hardly ever missed a game. So why was it so important maybe for Taylorsville uh, to beat schools like that? Because they, at the time, West Jones and I believe Northeast Jones were both 4A schools. Taylorsville was a 2A school. But uh, wasn't there a year in there where Northeast Jones was, was coming off maybe a state championship appearance and you guys played them really close? That's right. That was my sophomore year. Uh, that was in 1997. They just came off a state championship year. I think they beat us in overtime, 24-21 or 26-23. Not yep. real sure about the score. Yep. But it took an overtime uh, victory for them to beat us. At halftime, I think it was 21-0. And so after our coach, who was my 19th and 10th grade coach, Marcus Balls, who is now at Paddle, he came in and, and, of course, chewed on us a little bit, told us that we were going to go back and probably practice if we didn't go out and play that night or and probably tomorrow, which was a Saturday, if we did not go back out and perform. And so needless to say, we went back out and performed and, and, and almost won the game. That's right. I, I can remember being there um, telling everybody, hey, my brother's number 12. He's the tight end. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, of course, I always looked up to you guys. And I can remember the end uh, of that game. Uh, I think you, uh, we were down close trying to score. Jason had threw a pass into the end zone, maybe to uh, Norris Evans or someone. Uh, I believe he was on the team, if, if I'm saying his name correctly or if I, I recall correctly. But um, it was batted down. And, of course, that was a big victory for them and, all the Jones County schools because Taylorsville at that point were, were, were a tough team to beat. Um, for the coaches that are looking to become head coaches or looking to be hired over the summer, as an administrator, what's, what's some of the advice you could give them um, as far as maybe some things they should do or some things they can expect um, from a, an administrator like yourself? Well, when a when the coach is himself, when he say for a coach that comes to a Taylorsville, he knows that he has a tradition that's going to be a winning tradition, and if he institutes his discipline, his climate for his team that leads to his culture, then he's going to have success uh, at Taylorsville. When he's looking for uh, other jobs, he wants to look for similarities. Uh, that he's seen at Taylorsville might not be the same, maybe a larger school, but he wants to see if the administration and the people there are going to support him or going to allow him leeway to pretty much run his team within the confines of what the handbook says as he needs to. Are they going to let him instill discipline? Are they going to let him set up little projects in the summer where students can come, sign a waiver, come and, and learn some hard work, learn some team building things such as painting, uh, the field house, painting the school, working around the school, making sure that the field is kept up. All of those things uh, is what I would say coaches looking to promote themselves or looking to have success should should look into if they're going to another school or if they're coming to Taylorsville High School. Okay. And how important is it for young coaches uh, who are just now getting into education and they're young educators, uh, how important is it for them to – maybe have a CDL license and, and, and be willing to, as you said, do uh, various things around campus. As a coach, you're looked to as leadership or a part of leadership around the school because usually your head coaches in most places. Now, you have some larger schools, your Oak Grove, your Clintons, to where you're just going to be an athletic director and you're going to get paid probably decently for it. But at the smaller schools, you're going to be asked to do a lot. You're probably going to have a, a AD's title. You're probably going to have to clean up around the school. You're probably going to have to cut grass. You're going to have to line the field. You're going to have to make sure that there's enough seats around to go in the gym. You're going to have to make sure that the, that the uh, bleachers have been sprayed for wash the whole nine. You're going to have to spray for weeds. And sometimes you're going to be asked to drive a bus. So getting a CDL is very important. It's just a part of the process. I'm a, I'm a first-year principal at Taylorsville High School, but I promise you probably a fourth of the time I have to drive a bus in the evening. It's just something that comes with the territory, and it shows how much you care about the students and that you want to get them home safely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I drive a bus myself, and I've, I've done a bus route the last few years to help supplement my income. So for all the young coaches listening who have all the energy uh, still, you know, go ahead and help yourself out, maybe help your family out um, as far as making a little extra. Um, you heard it from a admi- school administrator himself that by you being willing to do extra duties around school and for the school, 
It's going to help you out. It's going to build your image uh, and reputation with uh, school officials, the kids, and the communities. Uh, Dr. Thickpen, is there anything else you would like to talk about or that you think is important in education that uh, possibly uh, don't get enough airtime today? I think the most important thing is we have to make sure that when we hire brand new teachers that have come through maybe the alternate route or that have come through through uh, the regular old standard student teaching, we have to make sure as administrators and as stakeholders that we make sure that we check on those new teachers. To coach, you have to teach first. You're going to make most of your money from teaching. And so I think as administrators, we have to make sure that those new teachers feel comfortable. We have to make sure that they feel supported. It's very important that if you have new teachers that you meet with them weekly, that you make sure that you're meeting their needs and that they understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing from maybe um, putting stand -up standards up on the board, uh, benchmarks, and even how to start a class. You want to make sure that the class is being run well, that they have classroom discipline, and then you would just want to meet with them to check on them, to see how they're doing, uh, to make sure that their day is going well, to see if they may need some breaks. So just making sure that you limit a new teacher uh, stress is something that I think all schools could look at. Absolutely. Um, I remember in 2010 when I started, I won't say where I was. Uh, I was told this is your mentor teacher. Here's your grade book. Uh, get ready for school. And I don't think my mentor teacher intentionally uh, just kind of left me hanging, but that's kind of what happened. And so, like you said, I had to learn to go in there and basically learn classroom management, learn how to start a class. And and I felt like that didn't happen until about maybe the fifth year where I kind of got a good hang of it. Um, but I could definitely see where a young teacher may struggle, whether male or female, um, coming out of college, walking into a, a class full of middle school students or freshmen. Um, and so... Uh, that's important. And you wrote your dissertation about that, correct? Retention? I, I did. Basically, new teacher stressors. It was looking at ways to limit new teacher uh, stressors or stress so that they would not leave the district. So, yes, it, it took a look at what could we do as administrators to keep those teachers, to keep them from leaving uh, and resigning because they felt as if they were not supported. See, we must understand that when you first walk into a classroom, it's going to be different from student teaching because with the student teaching, you have that teacher, that classroom teacher in there that teaches the class. Well, when you walk in the first day, most of the time it's going to be you and those students. And then from day one, you've got to get to work. So it's important that you're appointed a mentor that really wants to be a mentor. It's just not someone who wants to have a mentor on their record to make themselves look good. If you, you know, most of the time what a mentor is usually that person next door and that person could be good or could be bad. And so you said it took you five years. It should take only probably anywhere from one to three years before you start feeling comfortable if you have the right mentorship. And so that's something I wanted to look at in my dissertation. Absolutely. Well, uh, Dr. Thickpin, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast with me. Uh, maybe we could visit and do this again. Um, I, you know, this is something new I'm trying, um, uh, and, and you were definitely one of the people I wanted to interview. I hope that, um, I, I gave you an opportunity to, uh, answer some very important questions and express how you feel. 
about various topics in education. So um, I want to say this and then we'll hang up. Thanks to all the listeners. You've been listening to In Your Own Words podcast. Please subscribe and share on the Anchor app. I would like to uh, especially thank my guest, my brother, who I'm, whom I love, uh, Dr. Corey Thickpen. From all of us to all of you, good day and God bless. Thanks for listening to In Your Own Words podcast with Chris Thickpen. I hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe and share on the Anchor app. From all of us, To all of you, good day and God bless.